From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. I hope you had a fantastic weekend and thank you so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Father John Tregilio is in the house. Apparently he has been promoted from the seminary to (laughs) kindergarten. Uh, We'll get some insight into the background there in a minute. Uh, But if you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833 288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall behind the glass, spinning the dials, producing the program. Your call screener today, your celebrity call screener is Mr. Ace McKay. And Charles Beery is our celebrity social media maven today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, the aforementioned Father John Tregilio. How in the world are you, and where in the world are you? I'm in an undisclosed protected area. <laughs> Father, that's 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 a that's a that's a chalkboard behind you. Yes, I'm actually in a school. <laughs> and um in the actually I'm in the state of Alabama. Oh, well how about that? I I didn't realize even here in Alabama that we still had chalkboards anywhere. <laughs> I thought they were all whiteboards with markers now. This is a Catholic school. <laughs> oh, well there you have it. All right, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call, 833-288-3986. Gary writes in, A perfect act of contrition requires that one must detest sin, firstly, because of one's love for God, and secondly, for the fear of hell. How can I, with absolute certainty, (laughs) know that I detest sin more because of my love for God than my fear of hell? Uh, that's a very good question, and that's why um, everybody's encouraged to not only daily prayer and weekly Mass and making a retreat every year, but uh, finding a good spiritual director or regular confessor that you can talk to, and uh, that's part of spiritual direction, is to help ascertain, am I moving in the right direction? Uh, we never have a metaphysical certitude, but we can feel confident that uh, my remorse is more uh, that I'm offending God. Uh, the analogy I like to give is when I was a kid, uh, if I uh, did something wrong and I was afraid of being punished, then I would tell my mom and dad I'm sorry. Um, but when I became a young adult and I did something wrong and I told my dad, the look on his face that he was disappointed was more uh, devastating to me than any punishment. And uh, so that 
kept me kept was always in my mind, and I, I like to think of that too. That if I commit a sin, God forbid, uh, it's not so much, you know, what am I going to do in in uh, purgatory or will I end up in hell? But uh, I've offended God and He's disappointed in me, and and that's I think a, a good way of seeing seeing what direction I need to be going. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. We want to hear from you today with your questions for Father John Tregilio. 833-288-3986. Chike writes in, I once heard you say that the penitential rites were not absolution and hence there was no need to perform the sign of the cross in the Mass after the rite. Please explain further, because I assumed it is an absolution of venial sins, hence no further confession required. Well, any sacramental remits venial sin. So um, using holy water, um, you know, making a, a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, praying the rosary, uh, those are all... Uh, considered sacramentals, and therefore remits venial sin. Now, at, during the Mass, especially at the uh, ordinary form, or what they now you know call the Novus Ordo, or the Mass of Pope Paul VI, or the Vatican II Mass, however you want to phrase it, uh, that gesture is no longer required. It was in the old rite, an extraordinary form, or traditional Latin Mass, but in the new Mass that most parishes have, um, the sign of the cross is not made uh, after the confidior, um, but you can have your venial sins remitted uh, just by making the sign of the cross um, and having good intentions. Um, it's just that, that at the Mass, we don't want to confuse people and make them think that it's a substitute for confession, and certainly confession, it's a sacrament that's uh, first and foremost for, for, to remit mortal sins, but by all means, uh, confess your venial sins. Uh, I, as a priest, uh, c- confessor, I- I'm not going to be mad or upset or impatient with people because they're confessing their venial sins. Obviously, I want their mortal sins done first and out of the way, just like when you go to the hospital at the ER or trauma center. They want to know, well, you know, how can we save your life first? But uh, the rest is not inconsequential. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you pick up the phone and call right now, we've got an open line for you, and we might even let you pound the erasers after class is over. At 833-288-3986. Mary would like to know, she says, My daughter is going to be a surrogate for her friend. What does the Catholic Church teach about this? Yes, the Church uh, does not endorse. In fact, it condemns the practice. I know people have good intentions, but that doesn't make something that's wrong, uh, you know, fair and just in the eyes of God. So even though you might have the best of intentions, the ends never justifies the means, and even St. Paul tells us that. And being a surrogate where you're having someone else's um, embryo um, implanted in you uh, is considered immoral means because, you know, just like artificial contraception is wrong, so is artificial conception. Uh, so whether it's in vitro or having the egg and sperm uh, fertilized uh, in a test tube or petri dish and then implanted is wrong. And surrogate was even more so because um, the, the the woman who is receiving the embryo 
um, she's going to go through uh, very a lot of emotions and feelings of motherhood, although biologically she's not the the DNA mother of the child. But the baby's going to be living in her womb for nine months. Uh, there's going to be an attachment, and I've heard many cases where you know it's difficult for the mother then or, or the surrogate mother, I should say, uh, to give that child up because they've had that baby within them for nine months. But, you know, legally and biologically, it's it's the child of, you know, who was the biological mom and dad. And yet now you've got this third party um, in in the mix, so to speak. So, uh, yes, um, you know, there's um, Donum Vitae uh, was an excellent, excellent uh, papal document. I would encourage uh, our people to read that. 833-288-EWTN. Four lines open for you at 833-288-3986. Saul writes in, I have a question. How do you square the circle of the problem with the birth narratives between Matthew and Luke? King Herod the Great died in 4 BC, and Quirinus didn't become governor until 4 AD. Well, I always uh, refer to what St. Augustine said, uh, he was much, much more brilliant than anyone I've ever seen. And uh, he said that if if you ever run into an apparent uh, or alleged contradiction in sacred scripture, it's not the text that you should presume is an error, but it's our interpretation of the text. So when we're reading uh, the Gospels, uh, they're not written as uh, a history book. They're not written as a police report. So any alleged discrepancies are not actually errors, uh, it's context. If if the sacred author, uh, if that's what they believe uh, was what happened, then that's how they're reporting it. And it's like when I'm telling a story, uh, it may be a a, a true story, but some of the uh, the, the external details are not that important because the bottom line is, what's the story about? So when my grandmother told us how she came here from Sicily, she, I don't think she knew what day of the week it was, but she had to pick a day, so he said, no, no, what day was it? At Tuesday, okay? Well, was it Tuesday? It could have been. Maybe it wasn't. She still got here. She still came from Sicily. She arrived in the United States. So that's what it was matter. So I go with St. Augustine and, and say, yes, uh, it's our interpretation, not the text that uh, is the issue. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Journey deeper into your understanding of the Eucharistic mystery and understand the Eucharistic story of God's love for us. From the Old Testament to the institution of the Eucharist, download the free ebook, The Twelve Stations of the Most Holy Eucharist, at EWTN.com slash Catholicism. 833-288-EWTN's our toll-free number. First up today is Andrew in the Big D, Dallas, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Andrew, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to talk to Father because uh, 
I'm a cradle Catholic in my 60s, but about 25 years ago, through bad decisions, I just basically turned my back on Catholicism. I've come back about a year ago, glad to be back, but I have not made a confession in 25 years, and I'm apprehensive. I don't know what to say, what to expect it of me, so I need some help, please. Okay. Well, first of all, welcome back, welcome home, and I know any priest, any priest, myself included, would be more than happy uh, to hear your confession, and we've done this uh, so many times with so many different people. Some people have been away for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Some people, they just went the week before, but when they get into the confessional, they say, Father, I don't know what to do. Um, that's okay. You know, uh, we understand that. Um, priests do that. When we, when we go to confession, we sometimes get a little nervous or apprehensive. That's just part of being human. So just let the priest know it's been a while. Um, you know, we, we want an estimate only because, because, again, this isn't like a cop pulling you over and, you know, giving you a ticket, like, you know, how fast were you going? Um, this is more so we have an idea of, of what to ask and what kind of advice to give. So if someone says it's been a week or someone says it's been 40 years, um, you know, I'm going to look for a little bit more substantial things. So basically you want a good examination of conscience. I know we have some excellent ones online at EWTN's um, uh, electronic library. Um, there's one that's done by Opus Dei, but there's so many good ones out there. Fathers of Mercy have one. Uh, it's a guide. You do not have to follow that. Basically, you want to go through the Ten Commandments and the precepts of the Church, uh, as well as the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, and just ask yourself, you know, have there been occasions where either I violated a commandment or a precept of the Church, or was there something I morally should have done, like help the poor or uh, advise someone, and I purposely decided not to do it, which would be a sin of omission. But don't worry um, how long it's going to take. Now, if it's been that long, um, you, you may not want to go Saturday. There's a huge line of people because you might need a little extra time. Um, but I wouldn't dissuade you from going if that's the only time it's available. Um, but every, any priest, you know, uh, you see him after weekday Mass or even after Sunday Mass and say, Father, is there some time where you can hear my confession? I might need a little extra time. We, we appreciate that, but don't feel that's the only way that it can be done. Um, we're here to help, and I would say don't be nervous. You forget the act of contrition, we'll help you. Um, you, you, you didn't have an um, examination of conscience, we'll help you. Um, we'll do everything except we won't do the penance for you. <laughs> You've got to do that yourself. Does that help, Andrew? Yes, it does. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call, and God bless you and your journey. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Chili in Omac, Washington, listening on the EWTN app. Chili, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hello, Father John. Hi. Hey, uh, this is Julia. Um, I just wanted to say we love you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You, everyone at EWTN, I listen to you all day doing my work at home. Anyways, um, I do have a question. Uh, we've had a couple of African priests come to our parish, and um, we just had our second one assigned. The last one was assigned to us for seven years. 
And during that time period, um, well, I've been going to Daily Mass for 28 years, and I'm allergic to incense. And, well, of most of my family, and there's other prisoners too, when I asked him to not do incense, he refused. And when I begged with him in tears, saying, you know, Father, I, I don't want to stop going to Daily Mass. You know, uh, I started to go into anaphylaxis. It's a very serious condition. Um, you know, would you please, you know, not do it? I think God wants me there instead of, you know, the, the incense. And, you know, when did the ritual become more important than, you know, the people? He, he said, I will not discuss this with you, and left, and I was left crying. So now we have another priest from Africa. I asked him, please don't do the incense, because for the last seven years I've had to sit outside the church during daily Mass, and receive Jesus, he'll come to the door. Um, and there's times he, our prior priest just stopped doing incense. I don't know what happened, but he did stop eventually. Anyways, I was just, my question is, what, what is it? Is it because any other priest that I've known does not do incense daily, weekly, anything? And, and anyone I've asked, it's just like it's black and white. Of course, we want you there. We want your family there. You know, and it's killing me. It's killing me not to be able to go to adoration, not be able to enter Jesus' house. I can sit outside. I know that, and I know God gives yeah, us can the you same help, grace. Uh, yeah, can we help Julia out there, Father? I think we can. Uh, I think, um, you know, it, it's not, has, it doesn't have to be either or. Either the priest does it all the time or he doesn't do it at all. Um, I had a number of parishioners uh, who uh, had some difficulty with the incense, and I thought I made a good compromise. I um, didn't do it every day, but I certainly, even on Sunday, I had one particular Mass where, you know, we don't call it the High Mass, but that's what they used to do in the old uh, rite, at a High Mass where there was incense, uh, all the candles were lit, uh, we, we chanted everything, but it was advertised in the bulletin so people would know that, and then one of the other Sunday Masses, maybe two of the other ones, we didn't have incense, and uh, people appreciated the fact that I alerted them. Now, in the Byzantine Eastern Catholic tradition, they use it all the time. Uh, they're, that's part of their tradition. In the Roman Rite, uh, we use it for extra solemnity. Uh, I'm not aware of any place that does it so often that, I mean, the, the, these priests might be, you know, it's an uh, option that they could certainly exercise, but being pastorally sensitive to their parishioners, I think, is also important. So maybe compromise could be worked out where that if it's not, uh, you know, it'd be advertised when it's going to be done. There are certain uh, resins of incense that are advertised or marketed as quote-unquote chokeless. Um, one of those might be of, of, of help. I know um, I had an Anglican priest friend of mine. Uh, he got something he swore was 100% uh, chokeless, and it was made under the edict of Queen Elizabeth, and you know how picky she was. Uh, but I would not want someone not to go to Mass um, because the priest is being a little obtuse here. So, But I think, too, it, it wouldn't be fair uh, to the rest of the parish if it's never being done, uh, because it is something, it's part of our Catholic heritage. Um, so something, I think, could be worked out, um, at least let the person know when it's being done. And then if there's a near, nearby parish uh, that has it less frequently, the most important thing is to go to Mass. The most important thing is to receive Holy Communion. And uh, obviously, if this is endangering your health, you want to uh, avoid uh, 
endangering it. But at the same token, I think this is something that can be more uh, properly dealt with uh, through, So, and I hate the word dialogue because that sounds so 1960-ish, but uh, um, something that could be done, uh, accommodation could, could be made. What would her recourse be, Father, as it was with her former pastor if he was just uh, entirely unrelenting on the matter? Yeah, I would say that needs to be then someone from the chancery or the diocese needs to be alert, because maybe Father's just being a little bit too uh, strict or severe. But again, I've always been on either side of the fence or the receiving end uh, of that, where people too often, too frequently write to the bishop to complain, and very rarely do they write to compliment. So before it gets to any higher level, it says in Scripture, fraternal correction starts with the person directly. But you got to do it uh, with discretion and with charity. Um, maybe Father hasn't been charitable to this poor woman. Uh, that's on his uh, conscience. He needs to be more um, uh, aware of that. And uh, again, uh, it's not something that's... Though it's never that you have to use incense, but I would not want to go to the extreme where you never use it uh, because that is part of our heritage. So I think a compromise can be made. God bless you, Julia. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Maria is in the great state of Illinois, listening on 750 AM. Maria, you're on with Father John Trigilio. Yes, uh, good morning. Or My question is, I've noticed that uh, in some part of the Mass, in this church that I go on Sundays, they used to say, we profess your death and proclaim your resurrection until you come again. But now they only say, we profess your death until you come again. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, why is that? Why they have removed the part of uh, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus? All right, Father. Okay, it's, um, a good, it's a good thing you wore your liturgy beretta today. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, the thing is that um, there are a couple of options in the in the Mass at the Eucharist, at the Eucharistic prayer. Um, the memorial acclamation that uh, the caller is referring to, um, it takes place in the middle of the Eucharistic prayer, right after the um, consecration. And there's, the, there's only a few legitimate um, options that you have there. Um, now, whether or not I have to, I'm just trying to look here quickly. Um, the ones that are available there in the missile right now, um, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Um, the priest is not allowed to alter uh, the words that are in the text. Uh, there are right now in the English one, two, three different options that can be used. Um, the one that we were sort of familiar with when I was a kid. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, is completely gone, so that you should not hear that in any Catholic Mass ever again, all right? Just like you shouldn't hear Kumbaya. Um, so if they're leaving out a word that's part, not only is, is, it's the text that should be said, but as the caller points out, <laughs> it's a key idea that we're, you know, we're, we're believing the resurrection. So um, I would say, talk to the priest. Say, Father, can we have a few moments? Uh, again, don't put them on the spot. You want to talk to them right after Mass, but say, can I make an appointment and talk to them and ask them, you know, what this is about? But do it in, in a charitable way. You know, don't come off like, you know, you're with the Inquisition. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Congratulations going out to another longtime member of the EWTN Radio family, Annunciation Radio, on five FM stations in northern Ohio, is celebrating their 13th year as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to Dave Vacheris and his team at Annunciation Radio from all of us here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Chris in the great state of New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Chris, you're on with Father John. Hi, Chris, are you there? Tell you what, we'll try Mary back in Dallas, Texas, listening on the EWTN app today. Mary, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hello, Father Lugilio. Hopefully you can help me. Um, I'm a devout Catholic, always been. I go to Eucharist Adoration constantly, and I make Mass as much as I can. But my problem being, since I've been raising my grandchildren and my daughter works, I have 101 excuses, legitimate excuses. My husband's sick and everything. I can't make Mass on Sunday. My difficulty being is, God's commandment is keep the Sabbath. I cannot do it. I haven't been able to do it, no matter what. And I try to substitute by going Eucharist adoration, keeping holy holidays and things like that. And Father says, um, some Father says you can't receive. Some Father says you can receive. But I can't. I shake all over. And when I say I'm not going to do it anymore, I'm not a repentant sinner. How do I receive the Eucharist? I truly believe that it's the body and blood of Christ. And I'm a hypocrite. I can't do it. Well, um, there, there's a lot to unfold here, but first of all, um, I, I want you to know that um, you know, I love you, Jesus loves you, the Church loves you. Uh, we we want to work this out uh, for you, because um, it's not just, certainly it is obeying a commandment, Keep holy the Sabbath day is obeying one of the church's precepts, but also uh, going to mass is not just good for you; it's it's necessary for you in the same way, you know. You and I need our lungs need air uh, to breathe, um, our bodies need water, uh, our soul needs uh, Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity uh, in holy communion. We need to go to church, but if you're having difficulties, you know, you need to speak to a priest. To unpack, well, what is the particular difficulty? Is it the day of the week? Um, I've had people who work different shifts because they were doctors or nurses, police or firefighters. Uh, the pastor can uh, transfer your obligation to one of the weekdays uh, for the uh, the right reasons. And certainly, if if that's one of the problems, is that particular that day, uh, it can be moved with the pastor's. Uh, uh, permission. That's one of the things that uh, canon law allows. 
but it's like, are you able to do anything else on Sunday? If you're able to get to the store, if you're able to go to the movies, if you're able to, you know, just relax in that. Because um, I would say read John Paul II's letter, Dies Domini, Day of the Lord. And it's a wonderful, wonderful explanation, not just of the obligation, but the benefit and the, the graces that are shared uh, with Sunday. Now, I know a lot of Catholics, they go to Mass on Sunday, which is good. That's what they, they need to do. But they don't refrain from any servile work. Um, you know, the, the idea of Sunday rest means I need to spend quality time with family and friends and with myself, and, not either or, and uh, to show God uh, my love for him. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas makes it clear in his Summa Theologica that's quoted in the I need to do that because I owe it to God, but there's also a benefit in that for me, that I get closer to God uh, by doing what he asks of me. He Father, asks me can to you, worship can you re- him. Can you, repeat so that, I would, can you repeat that quote from the Summa, Father? We lost you for just a second. Oh, okay. Um, it's an act of justice to worship God. We are obligated to worship and adore God by justice. So it's not just an option. It's not just God uh, making an obligation upon us. St. Thomas says we owe it out of justice to worship God. And that's why, because it's so important, God tells us exactly how to do it. As Christians, we go to church. As Catholic Christians, we go to Mass. The Jewish people, they were told exactly how to worship God. Uh, God gave Moses and uh, the Hebrew people the precise way of worshiping. Pope Benedict XVI made this clear that the whole purpose of, of Exodus was for God to share with his chosen people how and where he wanted to be worshipped. So I would say to our caller, please uh, make an appointment, speak to the priest or the deacon of your parish, and unload or unpack the precise reasons why uh, you can't go on Sunday. If it's just the day itself, it can hopefully be moved by the pastor's permission, or maybe something that just needs some more examination, discussion, prayer. Um, but I wouldn't want you just to say, oh, I, 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 I don't know what you did not go, because it's not only, you know, you're breaking one of the church's rules, but you're denying yourself something that's so wonderful, and it's to your benefit. So I'm sure something can be looked at um, uh, please make an appointment to speak to the priest. God bless you, Mary. Thanks so much for the phone call. I think we have Chris back in New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Chris, are you there? I am here. Awesome. What's your question today? My question, Father, is in the Bible, it says that the Sabbath was on the seventh day several times. And I had a friend who was a seven-day Adventist, and they always argue with me, why do you go on Sunday? Because it, it strictly says the Sabbath is on a Saturday, seventh day of the week, and things like that. And when did the Catholics have the right to change that, and how they have the right to change the commandments? And also, they were talking about some, now they study the, uh, 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 the uh, they celebrate the Sabbath on uh, when the moon is full, or, or something like that. I don't know if you ever heard of that. And my direct question was, can you, direct, uh, can you pray directly to the Blessed Mother? Okay. Uh, wow. Um, 
again, I would say that the, the document by Pope John, St. John Paul uh, the Great, Dies Domini, is Latin for Day of the Lord. Uh, he, make, he explains beautifully why it is that for Christians, it's not that the Sabbath, we, moved, we didn't move the Sabbath to Sunday. We moved the obligation to worship God from Sabbath to Sunday because uh, worshiping God on the Sabbath day was part of the Old, um, the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant, and Jesus established a new covenant. He rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. Uh, the very following Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday, is when uh, he celebrated the breaking of the bread, uh, the, the Mass, the Holy Liturgy. And the Christians, they, especially those who were of Jewish extract, would do the Jewish things on Saturday, and then the very next day on Sunday, the Lord's Day, gather to read the Scripture, the Christian Scriptures, uh, the breaking of the bread or the Holy Mass, and receive communion. It was once the, 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 there was a separation between Judaism and Christianity. Um, the Temple of, of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, and uh, the Council of Jamnia in 90 AD, they decided to have nothing to do with Christians anymore. And more and more Gentiles and pagans were becoming Christian. Um, it became less and less of Jewish flavor, so they, they, they no longer maintained the Jewish practices they had, but they certainly kept the new tradition of worshiping God on Sunday. So Saturday is still the Sabbath. In fact, uh, in, in Italian, the word for Saturday is sabato. The word for Sunday in Italian is domenica, which means the Lord. So, and look at your calendar, the, the calendar you have hanging on your wall. Sunday is the beginning of the week. Saturday is the end of the week. So the Sabbath is still there. It's just that as under the new dispensation, uh, we are asked to go to church and uh, celebrate that on the day of the Lord. The Easter preempts everything. And what about praying straight to Mary? You can pray straight to Mary, and she's going to direct the <laughs> your intentions to our Lord. So she's not bumping Jesus out of the way. Um, you're not doing him any slight. If somebody went to my mother and then she came to me, I didn't get mad and say to my mom, hey, next time that person calls you, you have them come to me. No, I appreciate the fact they felt comfortable enough to speak to my mom. It was Mary at the wedding feast of Cana who said to Jesus they ran out of wine. He, he didn't uh, you know, say, well, I'm not going to do anything. He performs the miracle at her request. So, yes, you, could, you can go to Mary. Mary's an intercessor. Uh, she's a mediatrix in that she goes to the one mediator, Jesus, but uh, praying directly to her is not an insult to God. We're just not allowed to worship her. She's not a, a goddess. She's not divine. But we can go to her as an intercessor, and then she, go in, she in turn goes to the mediator. As uh, Mother Miriam of the Lamb of God, the former Rosalind Moss, likes to say, she is the quintessential Jewish mother, always saying, have I got a son for you. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. We head next to the Queen City. Jonathan is in Cincinnati listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Jonathan, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Good afternoon, Father, and God bless you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so my question is, my fiancé is a Protestant. And she's told me that uh, the one hang-up she has about joining the faith, uh, joining the Church, is the doctrine of purgatory. 
So I tried to explain, I, it might have been you, it might have been somebody else on Catholic Answers, uh, you know, the idea that we are uh, working off the, or, or re- reforming ourselves to the will of God and um, paying for the temporal punishments for our sins um, and use whatever metaphors of, of someone breaking my television set or something like that. Um, so I was wondering if you had anything specifically for a Protestant who is raised Lutheran, currently a Baptist, um, any resources or any other metaphors I might be able to use to help uh, explain that doctrine to her in a more uh, effective way. Yes, I mean, there, there is a lot out there. Certainly, EWTN has a lot available on our electronic uh, library. Uh, also, in the catalog, you can find a lot of books. Um, Catholic Answers has things. Um, the book that Father Briganti and I wrote, Catholicism for Dummies, we have a whole section on that. Um, we, we want people to see, especially non-Catholics, is that uh, you're never going to argue them into the faith, but you can show them that the Catholic Church is reasonable, and it's reasonable to have a doctrine on purgatory, because even a Protestant um, scholar, going back to the 1900s, remarked, most people, he thinks, are not good enough to go directly to heaven, but they're not bad enough to go to hell. He thinks they're sort of in between. Um, they're not perfect. They're pretty good, but they don't, li- they don't live such exemplary, sanctified lives that they, they, need, they can go right to heaven. So purgatory, again, is not a suburb of hell. It's not hell with parole. Purgatory comes from the Latin word purgatus, which means cleanse. And so it's a state of cleansing. Uh, it's not like traffic court. Uh, it's not like uh, you know doing community service because you, you misbehaved. It's uh, the analogy I like to use is when I was a t- hospital chaplain, I had to go see someone who was in uh, intensive care and isolation. Before I could go in there, I had to scrub and scrub and scrub my hands, and they, they timed you. 15 minutes, your hands had to be almost like bright red from you scrubbing so hard because there was germs you couldn't see, but if you brought them into that person's room, you would make them sick. Well, sin is oftentimes invisible, uh, venial sin is not easily recognized, but it's still sin. So the analogy I like to use, besides that cleansing of, of getting into seeing someone who's in isolation, is also that you know this idea that uh, when I had uh, allergies, the doctor said, you're allergic to dust mites. I didn't know what a dust mite was. He showed me an electron microscope picture of a, of a dust mite. And I went, ew. He says, yeah, that's in your sheets, your pillows, your blankets. It eats your dead flesh, and oh my gosh. Um, now, uh, purgatory, I, it can also be like looking through a, a microscope and seeing sin as God sees it, that even the smallest venial sin is still repugnant to God. It's not the same level, but all sin is repugnant to God, and we get too used to it in the same way that you and I would get used to germs or a little dirt here or there, and you say, well, yeah, but no, you're, you're going into a very, very... Um, pristine, pure environment, heaven, so you want every attachment of sin. So the people in purgatory want to be there. Uh, they're being cleansed, but it's a cleansing for um, their... And, and it's a guarantee. They're absolutely positively going to go to heaven. So those things you might want to offer to her in addition to um, giving her something to read. Um, but I would just, you know, encourage her and say... You know, a lot of the great saints, uh, many of the great, I mean, uh, not only believed in purgatory, but uh, taught about purgatory. 
And I would, Jonathan, I would encourage you to get a copy of that book that Father Briganti and Father Trujillo wrote, Catholicism for Dummies. It's available at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. And uh, that will not only take care of this question, but any other questions that she may have down the road as you guys are wor- working uh, toward your marriage. And we certainly wish you nothing but the best. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Monday night. That means the journey home. Tonight, uh, Mark, uh, John Mark Grodi talks with Sister Julia Mary Derenkamp of the Daughters of St. Paul about how friendship with the saints led her from evangelical Protestantism to the Catholic Church. That's the journey home tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Next stop for us is Denver, Colorado. Eddie is listening on the EWTN app. Eddie, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless you, Father. Thank you. Uh, my question is that I know that prior, to, uh, you know, prior to COVID, we was always receiving the body and blood of Christ. Now, when you go to church, even though the body, uh, you know, the Eucharist and the the wine is uh, consecrated, why aren't we receiving it? Or why don't they at least put the uh, wafer in the the wine so that we could actually say that we are receiving the blood and body of Christ? Also. Uh, I, I was listening to Mary, if you don't mind. Uh, I, when I don't go to uh, Mass on Sundays, I know I should, I go on the app called Lauderdale, and I can go to Mass. It starts like at 2 o'clock in the morning, and they have Masses all day. I can't receive the body and blood, but at least I'm still doing my obligation to the Church, I think, anyway. Okay, well, I'm, 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 thanks for the call. Um, let's start with the easy one first. Um, if you're able to, if you're physically, emotionally, weather-wise able to go to church, it's still an obligation that you physically go. If you can't go because of illness or weather or you're taking care of someone uh, or you've got some issue, some people are agoraphobic or they, you know, they, they have panic attacks, yes, you can watch it on YouTube or uh, Facebook, or um, you watch it electronically, but if you're able to go, you need to go. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, again, it's, it's a poor analogy, but if grandma's having her birthday party, um, she expects you to be there, and you say, oh, well, um, I'll call you. Well, that works if you can't physically get there, but if she knows you're there and you're just down the street, uh, she's not going to be happy camper. Um, now, with the uh, Blessed Sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, uh, the Council of Trent uh, very uh, staunchly um, taught against Martin Luther, who maintained you must receive both species to receive Holy Communion. And the practice, especially in the Latin Rite, has been, and is part of our, our dogma, that when you receive one, you receive both. Jesus is risen. Uh, at the Mass, we have a separate consecration of bread and wine, and that symbolizes the death, but Jesus is risen. So when I go to communion, I'm not receiving the dead flesh and blood. It's the risen body and blood of Christ. So if I receive the host, I receive the whole Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And one of the problems I encountered when I was newly made a pastor was that uh, one week we didn't have enough wine, so we only had hosts. And someone said to me, I only got half a communion. 
I says, no, you, you cannot get half a communion. If I give you half a host, it's still the whole Jesus. If I gave you only the host and not the, offer the chalice of the precious blood, uh, you're still receiving Jesus. Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, the substances uh, have changed into the substance of Jesus, but it's the accidents, the appearance of bread and wine remain. Uh, now, after COVID, a lot of people are still a little apprehensive or nervous, but also it, it shows the reason why we stopped doing it all the time, because people got the wrong idea and said, oh my goodness, I've only getting half a communion. You're receiving the total, absolute, total Jesus, even if you got a little part, a piece, an eighth or a sixteenth of the host. You do not need to receive both. The Second Vatican Council encouraged it, never made it mandatory, encouraged it because it wanted people to see the full value, but the problem was some people took it to its wrong conclusion and said, well, if I'm not getting both, I'm not getting communion. No. Trent made that very, very, very clear because Martin Luther and some of the reformers maintained you had to receive both, and we've never said that. We don't believe that. Um, so if it's being done, it's an option that you can participate in. But if it's not, you're not being cheated in any way, shape, or form. But I do appreciate the question, and uh, I thank you for calling in. Steve is in Boise, Idaho. He's listening on Salt and Light Radio today. Steve, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I was under the impression that the Lord will not be tempting us so as to kind of lure us into sin. And if that's the case, then why do we say in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation? Why do we ask for that if it's not something that God would do in the first place? Yes, that's a good question. And I don't know if you read it recently, uh, Pope Francis, was uh, he changed the phrase, uh, especially in the Italian. We have to remember that the, the Lord's Prayer that came to us directly from Jesus' own mouth, uh, he gave it to us, and it was recorded in sacred scripture. Um, he spoke it in Aramaic. The Gospels were written in, in Greek, then translated into Latin, and later on into English. So the English is the one that we're used to, um, deliver us not into temptation. Uh, the phrase cannot be interpreted too literally uh, in any more than when Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Uh, we do not interpret that meaning that I have to physically pull out my eyeball for looking at things I shouldn't be looking at, which today with all the, the filth that's on electronic media, I mean, most of the world would be not just one eye missing, they'd have both of them missing. So uh, again, it's the, uh, the interpretation of the text. Always uh, take the text in context, as Father Levis would say, otherwise you get a pretext. So deliver us not uh, um, uh, into temptation. It's not saying that God would or could. Uh, it's just a, a way of speaking. In the same way when Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. Well, we don't interpret that literally either. Uh, it's a way of speaking because in the ancient Hebrew, uh, they didn't have superlatives. So the way to make that point, you used hyperbole and said, hate your mother and father, meaning I love God more the most than anything else. And we'll head now to Linda in Houston, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Linda, just a couple minutes left with Father Tregilio. What's your question today? Hello, Father. I would like to ask, how can I assist my um, elderly sister who 
was involved in the Eastern Star, and her husband was what they called a worshipful master in Freemasons for over 50 years. He's deceased, and she's living alone, and they have two daughters. Anyway, I want to find out what I can do to convince her to repent of all that when she thinks there was nothing wrong with it. Well, remember when Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except where? In his own house. So you being very close to your sister, you may not be the most effective, but that doesn't mean that you don't try. Uh, I just wouldn't want you to harass and harangue her because then that will have the opposite effect. But every now and then, you know, um, encourage her to, to pray and maybe re repent. Um, I would certainly have a Mass offered for your brother-in-law, and I would be praying for your sister. Uh, sometimes prayer is going to be much more effective. Now, it's just... Nature that we sometimes will listen to a stranger rather than a close family member. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that you and I don't have the obligation to make an attempt, but it also means I can't get my hopes up too high because uh, I might be too close uh, to the person and they might say, well, who are you? When, when did you become Mother Teresa? So hang in there, persevere, but again, use um, discretion and charity. Pray for her. Have a Mass offered for your brother-in-law. Um, maybe strategically leave some things reading material in her house when she's not looking. Um, but you sitting down at the kitchen table with her may not have the effect that you, you expect. And unfortunately, we are just about out of time. Uh, Richard in Oregon, I will. he was had a question about suicide, Father. Just give us, uh, in 30 seconds, the Church's position on suicide. Okay, well, we no longer uh, deny people Catholic burial because we now realize that a lot of people, it's through no fault of their own. They have a very serious pathological condition, clinical depression. So what we do is we pray for them. We encourage them to seek some help and counseling. Family members, we support. Uh, so we no longer look at it. Now, that doesn't mean some people could, could not theoretically, like you know, a terrorist uh, kills themselves. They know what they're doing. That's a mortal sin. They're in big trouble. But someone's suffering with real full-blown depression, uh, they're not in full use of all their faculties, so we give them the benefit of the doubt, and we will still give them a Catholic burial. We will pray for them. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless. God bless.